Hello, everyone, and welcome to Repot It, Rerouted's podcast. I'm your host, Brian Schoening. I'm here with my co-host, as always, Chap Grub. Chap, how's it going, man? Oh, it's way better today than it's been in a long time. I'm psyched to have uh, our, our lovely Hardway home crew up on the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's good to have you guys here. I'm sorry you guys are here and not out on the water. Why don't you guys, before we dig into it, just give yourselves a little introduction. Ray, maybe you give a 30-second summary for about what you guys are doing uh, real quick for anybody that doesn't know. Uh, hey, guys. My name is Raymond Byrne. Um and we're rowing a little boat unsupported from New York City to Ireland. It's called the Hard Way Home. And uh, it's certainly been that so far. So, yeah, there's a few <laughs> twists and turns in the tale. Yeah. Well, because, Ray, the, the, the name probably derives from you are really going home, right? That's- yeah. So I'm from Ireland. And it, it, it always was kind of in my head, this kind of, uh, I've been in New York for nearly 20 years and I kind of envisioned the trip as almost this kind of like spiritual quest back to Ireland across this great big ocean um, and I'm not a or I wasn't a seafaring man before this started so it is kind of like building this whole project from the ground from the water level up it, uh, so I had no idea and uh, I mean we just learned so much in the past kind of six months before it um, and as the story goes on, our first uh, kind of eight to ten, eight days at sea um, before we ran into a little bit of a problem uh, has been a huge learning experience for us. And now we're going to get another shot at getting this done uh, yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, that's amazing. And who are these vagabonds you got on your left and right? So my name's Ryan, Ryan Cosgrove. Uh, I come from California. And I met Chris uh, guiding in Alaska for Alaska Mountain Guides and been doing the big outdoors thing for a while and got a random phone call from Chris in October saying, hey, want to row an ocean? I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's Ryan, that's a wild thing to just like agree to on a whip. <laughs> yeah, I, it wasn't really on my radar screen. I knew Chris had been, he'd been talking about it for a while. He'd been kind of seeking it out. So I knew roughly what it was and kind of had an idea of what it might entail, but it was just something that I didn't envision me doing. It was like a good on you, Chris, you know, go for it. Enjoy. I had to say yes. Right. Say- uh, are you a water person? Ray wasn't a water person. Are you a water person? I'm a near shore water person, right? So I grew up surfing, spending time on the beach, the whole time growing up, I did junior lifeguards. I love nice. being in the water, but I had always dreamt of doing something big on the open ocean as it maybe something kind of my next big thing. You know, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and had done some other longer off trail routes. And I like, I really want to do something on the water big someday. And so this just came at the perfect time with COVID. I didn't know if any of my guiding jobs were actually going to pan out. So I just right. said yes, and everything's just fell into line since. That's amazing, man. I, that makes me so happy. When did you hike the PCT? Uh, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail in 2017. That's awesome. That's awesome. I've done like 150 miles on the Pacific Crest Trail, but um, not the not the whole thing. Chris, how about you reintroduce yourself? You were the first guest on our podcast that we ever had. Um, how about you reintroduce yourself for uh, for our listeners? Yeah, I'm Chris McCaffrey. I'm from Boulder, Colorado, uh, which is, as you may note, a very inland state, so also not much of a water person. But um, yeah, I'm a professional outdoorsman of sorts, and um, this kind of came along, and uh, I saw Ray had posted on Facebook, need guy, row ocean. I was like, I'm a guy, and I want to row an ocean, so I I hit him up, and uh, now here we are about seven months later. Wait, wait. that that is that real? You yeah. That's really what he posted, right? It's pretty close, yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. it's like this journey goes back a little bit further for me in this boat sitting in New York for like three years, and my initial partner, we just didn't have enough time the first year. We weren't like, by the time we got the boat, it was the weather. You can only leave in this weather window 
which is essentially like we've, we've said a lot, the weather window is kind of the end of May into June. And obviously we're way past that, but really the weather window is you've got to get there before September. So right. if you're really quick, the weather window is August. <laughs> but uh, so the first year we just weren't ready for the weather window. And then my initial partner kind of fell out of love with the idea, which is fine. And I was like, I'm still at it. I try to find new guys. And I mean, I'm talking, there's a lot of like tough guys put up their hands and said they were going to do it and uh, kind of slowly backed out as it went on. Um, and then last year I had uh, a team of two guys who were international guys. So one guy from Australia and a guy from Egypt. But then COVID came and dismantled the whole thing, you know? So those yeah. guys couldn't get in, then they couldn't get home. And all this is going on. So, and again, for those guys, it, it's like they're invested in it, but they're not invested in it the same way I am. You know, right. like, I have the boat. I'm sitting in New York. I'm already two years into this. Uh, yeah. And I need it to happen, you know? Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's like I needed a backup. I need a backup plan to everything. But so I was like, I need guys who can get to New York if this happens. So what initially started as like a backup plan when I talked to Chris and he was like, talk to Ryan, like very quickly, I was just like, that's, that's, this is not the backup plan. This is the plan, you know? Right. So I was like, you guys are now, this is a team. And the other guys, if they can make it, can be the backup guys, you know? So, and I mean, I've said it before. It's like everything on this trip seems to happen for a reason, you know? And like, it wouldn't, I don't think, it would have been very hard to, I'm seeing a bunch of holes where like, if we didn't have the team that's here today, uh, I don't think, I think our, our chance of success would be a lot lower. Yeah, I mean, cause, so one of you guys fill us in a little bit cause originally the, the launch date was middle of May. So I think middle of May was kind of like our target point yeah. initially when we were first planning. Uh, and I think that might've been a little bit of due diligence on race part, just knowing how things inevitably go, yeah. timing. Uh, and so once I showed up in New York, uh, I showed up on April 10th. And so there's still a lot of work to do. We completely repainted the boat ourselves, mm -hmm. put in all the new hatches, started installing some new pieces of boat electronics um and packing all the food so there's a lot of work that needed to happen there yeah. so that combined with the weather window of actually leaving and having favorable conditions to get offshore just kind of kept pushing it back and once we were right. ready to go the weather just decided hey you guys aren't leaving yet so we sat in new york waiting nearly ready for a couple weeks before we actually got a crack to leave yeah it's funny and a lot of people like the understanding nature of people who are sitting here is like they're like oh hey guys it's not raining today like why don't you leave you know like that's the weather to people and it's it's trying to explain to people that and again i'm not saying we were experts we're getting there now about because i look at the weather a lot all of us do right um, and so essentially what we need is about four days of conditions pushing us offshore. So the problem, the main problem with our boat is it's built to be out in deep water. It's like there's no motor and there's no sail. Now, if the wind is blowing you 20 knots, whichever way it's going, it's very hard to not go that way if you don't have a motor. Right. So like your right. ability. Um, and then if big weather hits, and like the wind and the waves are going in two separate directions close to shore, which is very common. That's a big issue for us. So getting these four days together proved very hard for the first few weeks. Uh, yeah. So we would get two days. It wasn't enough. We would get three days. And because it's early in the, in the window, you're kind of like, our weather router, who's the guy who trained us, uh, Stokey Woodall, he's a famous kind of uh, famous British sailor. He trains all the like special forces in celestial navigation. So he taught us like navigation, all the marine stuff. So we we're on Zoom with him for like six months all the time before this. Wow. And he's doing our weather routing day by day when we're out there. So for him, it's like it's early days. 
like get the perfect push out. You know, you, you don't, whereas now it's different. We have to leave. Like the weather, I think if the weather was like, well, it's okay now, but like yesterday, we probably would sit and wait a few more days until it's like, oh, it looks perfect. So it's circumstance uh, right. a lot of this, you know? Yeah. It, it's uh, such a massive undertaking because your, your expectation was 60 to 75 days on the water. Was that, is that, am I yeah. quoting that right? Yeah. Almost two months and you guys were going to, you guys are doing four hour shifts rowing? The shifts depend on, so again, you're kind of flexible on that. The classic ocean row thing is two hours on, two hours off. That mainly applies to guys who, let's say, have two guys or four guys because it rowing over two hours gets annoying. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like two and a half hours in, when you hit that two-hour mark, that next half an hour is like you're like, I'm really sick of rowing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and seemingly that's how it looks like that system was created. It's like two hours, you can make two hours pretty easy. Um, and then taking the two hour break. So for other guys, solo rowers, when they're out there, they essentially row all day, sleep all night and swap it back. So our system is almost closer to that because we don't have an even amount of people. So we're constantly in a little rotation where sometimes there's two of us, sometimes there's one of us and we try and row more and harder during the day with shorter breaks, just to get that full recovery now we're not sleeping eight hours. We're kind of sleeping four hours. We're going to cut it down maybe five hours um, a night. And it just turns out that you kind of have to sleep when you can as like, we'll get into the story of what happened where, I mean, we ended up like not sleeping for, you know, a couple of days into stuff just happens, you know? And if it happens during the time you're supposed to be asleep, then tough luck. Uh, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Brian, you got something? Well, I, I think let's just let's just get into yeah. that. So you guys have already pushed off once and had to and had to return. If I'm if I'm understanding that correctly, so what what happened in that situation? So Chris, you want to talk about pushing off there? Yeah, for sure. Um, so we got our weather window out of New York City. We left from Far Rockaway, rode out into the harbor, and then down into the Atlantic proper. Um, the first day was was pretty good. We battled a little bit just to get out into New York Harbor and make the turnout into the Atlantic proper. Um, we ended up doing like one hour on, maybe one hour off, uh, but we got it done. And day one was a huge success for us. Uh, we had winds at our back for the, for the nighttime and uh, we were able to make some good progress. Day two is kind of a similar thing. We were battling with seasickness a bit. At least I was battling with seasickness a bit. All of us were to start. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all of us, for sure, those first few days were um, feeling it. And uh, yeah, and then day three came along. And that's when things got a little, a, a little interesting. So um, I'm out on deck. And uh, I think Ray and I were both out on deck. And Ryan was rowing. But I could be mistaken. Anyway, I open up the middle compartment, uh, the middle hatch, and that accesses all of the underside of the boat, which is where we do our food storage and where our ballast is, things like that. So I open up this hatch. I look into it. I look up at Ray. And uh, in as calm a demeanor as I could, I ask, Ray, is there supposed to be this much water in this hatch? Ray turns back to me <laughs> and he goes, no, Chris, <laughs> there's not supposed to be this much water in this hatch. Oh my God. What turns out has happened is that we have flooded underside of the boat and are in, in layman's terms, sinking. <laughs> and uh, so not the type of thing where the boat would actually go down. However, right. it wasn't great. No. Carrying a lot of extra weight. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> yeah, a lot of extra weight. I was wondering why I was not going as fast because I was pulling on those oars very hard and going very slow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how does that, 
how, how did that happen? What? So you flooded it, but, but how? So it turns out that there was a hole cut in the bottom of the boat to allow access to the centerboard, which swings up and down. Um, not a problem during our training rows when we weren't fully loaded down. The boat kind of sits really high on the water. Right. And so the water isn't flooding up through the hole into the compartment as much. And yeah, easy to bilge out, whatever, not an issue. Right. When we loaded it up with all of our stuff, which was too much stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into as well, uh, we uh, pulled the boat down a bit into the water. Water started to splash up through that hole in the centerboard compartment, which weighed down the, that part of the hatch a bit, which pulled the boat lower, which allowed more water to come in through the hole and pull us lower again and on and on. Uh, and so we kind of knew what was going on pretty quickly. And that's when we got to fixing it. So, um, Ryan, all right, you want to take over the uh, plugging it with your thumb story? Wait, oh my gosh. Well, I just got to say, that's like when a doctor says, uh-oh, right? It's literally, <laughs> you don't ever want on a boat, on a, on a seafaring adventure to say, is there supposed to be water here? That's just like the worst case scenario. So who, who plugged it up? <laughs> Which one of you guys plugged it up? Uh, I mean, it's it wasn't crisis crisis issue. No, I mean, it definitely wasn't great, uh, and it took a bit of so essentially like the bilge wouldn't work because the water level is too low. So we pushed out the water; the water's just filling back in. Um, so essentially, what we did was plug the gap, get the water out, and then try and patch the hole. Now the problem was there's so much pressure on that hole from the ocean that even like epoxy, like very hard glue, like a hard patch on it, it, it didn't work with the amount of, just the pressure is just immense of the whole ocean pushing this board up. Um, so what we ended up fixing it with was we have a hammer that holds the center board down and then we fixed it with four rags, which if you get a bigger rag and shove smaller rags into it, then we pulled it back up can hold practically any amount of force and it actually holds the whole piece in place. Um, and it was funny when we came in and we've been in, in for repairs where you try and are like, oh, we'll have to fix that properly, you know? And you spec out what fixing that would look like without totally rehauling that whole casing because the reason the hole was in it in the first place was is that the original didn't really work as well as they wanted. So they had to put the hole in to control the centerboard which we still need a hole for. Um, so once we spec it all out, it kind of looked like a hammer. <laughs> you were like, we need something that looks like a hammer and we're going to need something that looks like four rags. Well, it's already in there. So uh, <laughs> moving on to the next problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys MacGyvered that. That's, that's amazing. What a, so that problem resolved, let's yeah. just say, right? Like we fixed that problem. Now what? Um, so like moving on after that kind of four day and we were pretty cruising, like we all thought ocean Rome, we were like built for it the first four days, you know, like a little bit seasick, we're figuring it out. But yeah, I was going to say, you guys look real strong right now. All, all three of you guys are looking, looking real, real big right now. So that's cool. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and we were pretty cruising and then we get the weather router calls us and says, hey, we have an issue, tropical storm Claudette is coming like right for you. So the plan is we put out the power anchor, which is a parachute you leave out underwater and it holds uh, a massive counterweight against the boat, like tons of weight. As it holds the water and the wind pushes you this way, it holds the weight and it really slows the drift of the boat down. So you don't go very far, which is like the offshore way of anchoring when the, the water is too deep. So we're like, okay, we'll go on power anchor for a day or two, whatever it is, and we'll, we'll start rowing again after that. Not a big issue. So that's fine. First day of power anchor, like you're on holidays, you don't have to row anymore. You know, we're chilling out on the boat, fixing up all the little things, reorganizing everything. It's great. Uh, second day, fog starts to creep in. Now, fog offshore is scary. 
because there's tons of shipping out there and our boat is very small. Like we could bang into your boat, but we really can't be banged into by any other. Right. Um, right. So we had like, we have an AIS unit. So that's on. So the AIS seems to be working. Everything on the good boat Barney seems to kind of work, right? Which is like, uh, which is great. It's just never perfect, right? It's like, so the AIS is supposed to show us the position of other boats and we're supposed to be able to see them, right? So you're sitting on the boat and like, you'd be like, Ryan is like, there's like a 300,000 ton tanker there on the horizon. Is it on the AIS? And you're like, nope, no sign of it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't know. Um, and then, but in the fog, so this AIS plays into the whole story because it was kind of the, it had been put in additionally to the power system that was on the boat when I bought it. So in training, everything worked. It just wasn't put under the duress that comes later, which was our issue, which is why we're sitting on land here. Um, so as the fog, the second night of the fog, it was fog all night. And you can see nothing in this fog. I mean, if you went outside, it was a big full moon. You, all you could see is just white like the, the light of the moon reflecting off just this bank. Uh, you couldn't see 10 feet off the boat, you know? So me and like Ryan are like up all night listening to the VHF. And because we're a small boat and the antenna isn't as big as it would be on a bigger ship, it just sounds kind of muffled half the time. And the boat's name is Barney, which seems to sound like every other boat name said in a Russian accent in the seas around America. So we're like, the boat, and he's like, Barney, Barney. And Ryan's like, I think they said Barney. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get on the radio. And then some guy goes, Dory, this is Dory. We're like, oh, it must have been that. We like misheard it, you know? So we're sitting there. The fog is there. You can't see anything. You can hear the fog horns of the massive boats in the distance, like really deep, like uh, off in the, and you don't know how close it is. So it's, it's a little bit, like your nerves are up when you're listening. Um, and then we heard a guy in a New England accent, like 100% say Barney. So we were like, uh, he's like, Barney, Barney, Barney. We we're like, Barney here, go on. And he was like, I see you guys, what's going on? Because on the power anchor, we're just doing these kind of loops. And he thinks we're in distress or whatever, and he's very close. So we're like, no, we're fine. We're a small craft. We're on, uh, we're at anchor. It's just a power anchor. And he's like, okay, great. I'll give you a wide berth, you know? So me and Ryan are on the deck and you can hear the rumble of the engines as it passed us by, but you could see nothing. You know, it's like a vibration where if you threw a stone, you'd hit this boat and they had seen us on the AIS. So it was working. It saved us there. And the boat just passes by and we were like, ooh, that's pretty close. <laughs> um, the, so kept going. There was no more kind of thing that night. But I mean, you're still kind of up all night waiting for it. And then the following day, Claudette had passed. We're back rowing and we're like, oh, we're back in action. Started the day, went really well. Uh, and kind of thinking we'll, we'll, get a, we'll get a sleep later on right so it's like didn't get any sleep last night sleep later on so during the day then day went fine keep it together and then in the evening time we just got out of the blue hammered with this massive storm like big thunderstorm whipped out of nowhere uh me and chris were on the deck to start and it was otherworldly right it, it was yeah it was one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen in my life just sheets of rain. Ray turns to me about 10 minutes into this and he was like, this is the entire reason that we're out here. And it was, it was a really cool moment. Um, and then I think I could speak for, I don't know if I'm speaking for all of us, but we were running beam to the seas and with that much wind, they get really steep. Uh, and they were around eight foot, I'd say. Um, and things got pretty scary for a few minutes of we're in relatively shallow water with pretty steep swell, uh, taking them on the beam and we couldn't get the boat to run with the sea. And so if you're 
taking the waves on the beam, that's where you're so much more likely to capsize. Um, or yeah, just like, that's not really the position you want to be in. And Ray and I were fighting the oars at that point. Um, and then Ray turns around and he's like, what are we doing? He's like, why don't we just stop rowing? And he starts steering. And when we stopped rowing and just focused on the steering aspect of it, we were able to get it with the seas. Um, and then things got pretty fun because we were going very fast and not rowing for it. It was just free speed and fantastic. And so cool. Ryan and I ended up on the deck um, just steering through, through this storm and letting it just wash over us going like five knots, which was Whoa. fantastic. Highlight of the trip for sure. Which doesn't sound fast if you drive a powerboat, but in a little rowboat, you feel like you're in a rocket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. imagine trying to row that fast. <laughs> that's, that's wild. Holy yeah. shit. Holy shit, you guys. I don't usually swear on this podcast, but I think that warrants it. So amazing. It's unbelievable so far. And I love, Chris, you highlighting kind of the moments on the trip that we're so meaningful to all of you guys because you're right. That's, that's what you're out there for. And I'm glad you guys found a way to write the shit. So to, I mean, not even, so to speak, that's not I'm even. A, about the, the whale. Oh yeah. yeah. So as soon as I hop on deck uh, after Chris and Ray kind of stopped rowing and got everything squared away, I'm just sitting there because we don't have to row at this point. All the heavy rain is kind of passed, but it's still waves are big. Winds are whipping. And out of nowhere, maybe 20 feet left from where I'm looking, a massive humpback whale comes breaching fully out of the water, splashes. Chris thinks it's actually like lightning because it's so loud right next to the boat. And then it proceeds to just jump, you know, kind of go off behind us and then off to the right and just kept breaching and breaching. It was what? absolutely amazing. Wow. I mean... That's just unbelievable, you guys. So I want to, I didn't want to interrupt and I want to, I got to know what happens next. But I just want to say something about that fog experience that you guys were in. I bet you guys don't know this about me. I love horror stories. And I was getting the chills during that. I was like, oh my God, the, the, the emotional anxiety of knowing there are boats that would smash you in the night and you can hear them and feel them but not see them the the distress of that holy shit i hope you guys fixed your electronic system so you know what's going on right you guys got that now that's resolved we'll get so so really then right so this and that, that's a good kind of segue in that this ais is still running right because right. when we were on that storm there were some sailboats like especially one going over and back and they're in their own kind of battle because the wind is so high but we leave the ais because we want them to see us now we've always been conscious of a power issue right because we need the sun it's totally solar powered at this point and it's like we didn't make water for two days because we know the water maker uses a lot of water and we'll use our backup water. So it, it is part of the conver like the conversation between us and in our heads that we have to like save power while the sun isn't out. But the AIS has been running the whole time. Now, once we get to this storm just dies, right? Done. And me and Ryan are on the deck. And now we've been through like the emotional roller coaster of the first day into the fog, like into the next day, this huge high of like riding this storm. It's dangerous. Like we're all kind of like to live on the edge a little bit. And it's like, this is magic. Storm ends and it just like dies, right? And it's dark at this stage. So it's probably like, I don't know, like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Um, and the storm ends and the wind just dies, right? So there's no wind. Uh, we have an American flag on a pole and it's just, just not even moving. Um, 
And then we're like the currents and me and Ryan are trying to row and nothing, we don't know where we're going. All the compasses start reading differently. Everything on the deck, it's like a little Bermuda Triangle. And we're like, dude, what are we like? Because there's a shipping lane, right? We know there's a shipping lane. So the big thing is, the most dangerous thing is keeping out of the way of the ships. So we're like, we cannot go into the shipping lane. And now we don't know where we're rowing because all these compasses seem to have just got jangled for some reason. So we're trying to figure that out. And I go into the cabin just to look at, I'm like, let me check in here, see what's going on. And boom, over. Like the whole power system is gone. Goes down. Now we need power for that AIS, GPS, the radio. Our whole safety system is, initial safety system is, uh, is part of the power system. So that's gone now. And I'm like, oh, the solar's like, it's obviously dark. It's like, but you can't spend too much time thinking about it because we just need to move on to the next part of the problem solving. So me and Ryan are sitting outside, we talk it over and it's like, let's get the power anchor out and see if that will hold us enough till morning so we can figure it out. Uh, we put the power anchor out. There's no wind, there's, the currents are swirling, power anchor doesn't hold. Try again, power anchor doesn't hold. So we're like, okay, pull it back in again. It's a whole job putting it out. So like, we're kind of a little bit like zombies at this stage, we're like 48 hours into this and we're like, okay, pull it in, pull it in, pull it in. And then we have a real anchor, like a fluke anchor, one that will hit the bottom. But the issue is you're supposed to have five feet at least of line for the anchor for every foot of depth that you're in. Now we're probably, we're estimating we're in because we've been looking at the charts beforehand, like a couple of hundred feet, maybe a bit more depth. Now we definitely barely have 500 foot of rope on the boat, you know? And like the ongoing, like the joke is we're like, we're tying our shoelaces together to try and get this rope to be deeper into the water. Um, so Ryan does a great job. We shackle, bowling, the whole rope, right? Climbing man extraordinaire. We have this big <laughs> stretch of rope uh, and we toss it over. Now, if you, if we, when we used to anchor in the harbor training, you put the anchor out. I mean, it just, it's like a rock, you know, and it just holds you. This is not happening. <laughs> we're like, I don't know. It, like we're moving, which not holding. Uh, and we're kind of looking at each other. I'm like, I'm in my head. And like the backup to this idea, if this doesn't work is we're just going to have to row and row till dawn and try and get a bearing on the handheld and hopefully just use like the backup to the backup compass and hold that bearing. Now that's not a, we're tired at this stage. And like, you're getting a little bit fuzzy with making decisions and you just need to keep it simple. Um, so we decide, let's just wait for a second, right? We're, we're a few miles from the shipping lane. Uh, and we look at our emergency, our Garmin inReach, critical piece of equipment. Uh, and it, it seems that we're holding reasonably well, whether the anchor was dragging at the start, just on the, the ocean floor, um, it holds us to a certain degree. And then it, it seems to have caught. So we're doing a kind of a circle. And that was a huge savior for us, right? Yeah. Like it, uh, we like, cause nerves were, again, it's, it's a dangerous situation, you know? And, uh, that like just being held, we got some emergency lights up. We have our emergency kit. So again, it's not a critical situation. We don't have to call the Coast Guard at this stage or anything. We're like, let's wait for the morning, see if the solar power kicks the batteries in. You know, if we have enough juice left in them, that it happens. So we sit down, I mean, got a few winks of sleep at best. You know, it's kind of a fitful night waiting for the dawn. Uh, sun comes out. We're bobbing around like 60 miles south of Nantucket off the shoals and uh, no battery. Battery's not having it, you know? So now it's like, uh, okay, what are we going to do, you know? And I mean, like, like Ryan was saying before, it's like everyone just kind of took their own little corner of that tiny cabin and just had like a kind of a sad face. And <laughs> there was a lot of like, I remember looking over at Chris and Chris like, cause Chris is pretty quiet during that whole thing. And he's just like staring into the mid distance. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it was pretty low moments uh, of the trip where, because it's like, it potentially was over there, you know? And 
all of us would like to have made it further than that at that point. Um, but I mean, again, you just have to click into what's practical, right? So over or not, we're not going to spend the rest of our lives bobbing around 60 miles an hour in Nantucket. So it's like, we're going to have to do something. So get on the phone, start texting people on the inReach, uh, talk to a buddy of mine, get us into contact. We call on the sat phone, tone companies in and around the closest ones, right? So Nantucket, like Rhode Island, whatever, um, Cape Cod. And this guy has given us a quote for like, seven thousand dollars to come out and tow the boat now this trip has been what can only be described as a money pit already um and it's like oh my god like it just can't keep going like this you know like so that was again it'd be tough to say what would have happened if that happened but it definitely it wasn't great you know so we kept at it trying to get some more people and then chris was talking to his dad on the phone on a sat phone updating him on what's going on be, uh, after the storm. And uh, Jim had uh, a towboat membership, so he had insurance. So he called the company, uh, talked to them, and uh, he called back on the sat phone and calmly told us they'd be there in two and a half hours. Let's Unbelievable. Jim. And- yes, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So towboat US came out, they got us. Uh, brought us back in. Now, towing a boat is a lot slower. Like, it took two hours to get there. It took 10 hours to go back on the boat. And we, so we get back and it was pretty nice getting towed. Like, the, and you underestimate, like, even though, you know, we're all kind of used to situations where it's like a little bit sketchy or whatever else, but the feeling of being like safe, so to speak, is like, you can breathe out a little bit, you know, like we're, I, like, I'm not going to speak for myself, where I'm living on a like, I need to be pay attention to everything all the time for the few days before. Um, so just being on the toe, I was just like, I felt a kind of a, like a wave of, of relief, you know. Um, and then we got towed into Falmouth, uh, and it's funny, you right? like talk about right the difference between Marina Fifty Nine and Falmouth. So where the boat, <laughs> where the boat had been stored for the last three years, and where I had been living in my truck in New York before leaving, and where Chris had been living, it's like a real blue collar, rough marina. You know, you have all these shipping containers that are workshops. You know, the gal who does the custom chopper motorcycle seats, all the Puerto Rican fishermen. You're playing the game like, was that a gunshot last night? I don't know. <laughs> It's like, you know, a really cool artist. There's a bunch of people making surfboards. It's like sure. a cool environment, a lot going on. And we're getting towed into this harbor and there's like $50 million yachts and everything's pristine. <laughs> and it's like, where are we? This is not a marine. It's a different world. Yeah. It's a different world. Yeah. Being tied off, right? So the towboat guys pulled us up to the top of the harbor. And like they tied us off to the pylon, right? So, at, like literally, it was our boat and the sidewalk. Like you could just step onto the boat. There's no locks on our boat or anything. So it's our whole lives are on this boat. And I said to the like, public, I was like, "Hey, do you think this is like safe?" And then I just kind of looked behind me and I was like, "This is absolutely the last boat you would steal it from in this whole house. <laughs> like you, they wouldn't touch it. It's like look at the filth of a boat that's tied up to the harbor." Um, yeah. so we're, we're probably safe yeah yeah so, so oh my gosh well i just real quick that's i'm i'm so glad you guys made it back safely i think that making those hard decisions and sitting in those moments where you guys are where we're all like I've, i'm a huge outdoorsman myself and i've been in those moments before where something's happened and you need to make the decision to bail or to at least stop and retry again and I know sitting there with my friends and making that hard call because everybody wants to get to the top, to go across the ocean, to finish the thing. But what's our lives worth, right? And we're never going to make it. And I mean, you guys, your guys' hand was forced because everything stopped working. So you guys had to come figure that out. Um, but, you know, I, I think that was a really, it sounds like, you guys learned a lot from that. And I also, you made me laugh a lot because 
I don't walk my truck because my truck's a piece of crap too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way, right? As it's got broken topper, it's all fucked up. Whoops. Sorry, Brian. Brian's got some okay. editing. Yeah, I got uh, some I got some editing to do on this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you guys made it back and I think I, I really I gotta know I gotta know the story of where you guys are staying how all of that works out because that story that embodies that embodies the outdoor experience and when i lived in my van i stayed with all kinds of people who opened up their homes to me and that's part of these big journeys so give the rundown or brian you got some else no i i just to to kind of after hearing that story something that chap and i talk about a lot on this podcast is just things not going to plan and how you kind of audible in the face of adversity and the way that you kind of roll with the punches and kind of the, the challenges that you experience in, in the outdoors and on, you know, I mean, trips like this are, are the extreme version of it. Um, but yeah, I think that that was a, that was a perfect example of, you know, something not going exactly to plan and, and having to kind of figure your way around it. But yeah, tell us about tell us about where you're staying now and uh, and and how you how you got set up there. For sure. Um, so once we got to Falmouth, uh, we stayed at a hotel the first night, like just passed out, right? So got like six hours of sleep, just and felt amazing in the morning, right? Comparatively. So then we we all just were like, this this is not over, you know? Let's figure it out. Uh, got all our thinking caps on, started talking through our problems. How are we going to fix them? I hit the phone. And uh, so our initial problem was, is that it's the busiest time of the year in Falmouth. So we're in Cape Cod, like Kennedy territory. And like we said, this is a very nice marina with very expensive boats. And the harbor master, absolute gentleman, but he was like, we're going to have to get the boat out at some stage because it's overbooked already. You know, like even these like pylon spaces. So I'm, I'm like, okay, so we'll figure out, let's get the boat hauled. So called a bunch of people, couldn't get through to anyone, and finally found uh, a boat hauling company called Emotion. And I called them up, and a guy named Tim answered. And uh, I was like, hey, so I have this boat. I need to get it out of Falmouth Harbor. Um, and he was like, okay, I'm actually free today. I can do it. And I was like, yes, amazing. And he goes, where's it going? And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tough question. No idea. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, though, Tim. It's going to Ireland at some stage. It's probably not today or tomorrow, but, like, in general, that's where we're going. And he was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, all right, start from the start. So I'm, like, telling stories to people on the phone, you know. And Tim is like, okay, we'll figure it out. So, that, like... Tim takes the boat out and leaves Barney on blocks outside of his house where it's been for like nearly two weeks now, a week and a half. And he didn't have to do that at all. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it is, it's more hassle in his life. But again, it's like the kindness that people have shown us since we got here, everybody, you know? And it's like, I was actually talking to somebody about it yesterday. It's like, why do you do these things? And it's like coming back to shore and everyone being like, hey, what can we do to help? What do you guys need? How do we get this done? You know, is like that energy, you feed off it immediately. It's just like your battery goes up uh, and it's like, oh, we're gonna do it for these people now, you know? Um, so we get to Tim's place, whatever, and I get a phone call and it's this guy, Tom. Now the backstory to this is, Tom has, uh, Tom's son lives near um, the, we should have plugged this thing in. Uh, Tom's son lives near a, a re like my restaurant in New York. Uh, and he comes in a bit and he has, um, has good time and he decides to have an after party for the, the marathon. Uh, and his parents come in and they have a great time, right? And they're like, oh, this is going to be our place in New York, whatever. So this is the first time I meet them. I'm in the hospitality business. So this is what happens all the time, right? You don't think anything of it. Now, a few months ago, they came in again and they were in for brunch. And I pull up a chair and I'm chatting away to him. And Nick had told him about the boat story. So 
Tom is like, they're just kind of both horrified and fascinated about this, like, rowing across the North Atlantic. Uh, but uh, they're immediately supportive. And Mickey actually writes me a check to support whatever I need, you know? And I'm like, wow, that's, it's on call for, you know? But Tom asked me, he goes, will you do me a favor? And I said, yeah, of course, yeah, whatever you need. He goes, this medal has been in, this holy medal has been in our family for uh, a long time. And uh, we're an Irish-American family, and it would mean a lot to me if you took the medal back on the boat to Ireland. And I was like, yeah, of course, yeah. And I mean, I'm honored, right, that you would ask me to do that. So I'm like, fine, yeah, great. So we get the medal. And again, you're not really thinking that much of it, you know. So when we get to Falmouth, I get a call from Tom of the Holy Medal. And Tom Tom is like, where are you? And I was like, we're in Falmouth. I don't even, I didn't even know where Falmouth was, to be honest, before we landed here. I didn't, you know, I mean, I've never been to Cape Cod, never really been to Massachusetts, like extensively. Right. And, uh, Tom is like, I live right here. And he goes, I'm coming down there right now. So I was, and this is like the middle of the night. And I was like, well, Tom, you're all right. This thing. <laughs> um, but he was like, do you guys have wheels? And I was like, no. And he was like, I'm dropping down a truck in the morning. I'm going to need you guys to get out of that hotel, come up to the house. Uh, what do you need? What do we need to do to get this going? And it's just like, we were like, wow. And I mean, the Hardiman family, which is, which is where we are now, have just been unbelievably kind to us over uh, the last couple of weeks. And it turns out the backstory to the medal, which actually kind of fully frames the story, was George Gilmartin, who was the grandfather, had been stationed in Germany during the Korean War. And he went to Ireland to look for his relatives in Ireland. Uh, and he felt like a big draw to, to the old country. Uh, but when he was there on his journey, he lost all his belongings and he didn't have anything. And he was kind of stranded. And this poor Irish family took him in, gave him their own bed, gave him food off their own table. Like if they didn't have extra food, they gave it to him. They denied themselves. And then they scraped together the money to send him back to Germany because like he was AWOL essentially. Uh, he never forgot this. And he told that story like dozens of times during his life. And before he passed away, he gave the medal to Tom. So Tom has this medal imbued with George Martin, who gives it to us. And then in our time of need, when we needed to be shown that, here we are. So it's kind wow. of an amazing story. Yeah. Luck, the luck goes around. Uh, it's, so beautiful, you guys. I cannot believe this epic adventure that you guys are going on. And you ship off tomorrow. We'll probably release this in the next couple of weeks. So these guys will be two weeks on the water. Fingers crossed. No, I mean, you're... We'll probably be in Ireland. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, we're we're well-rested. Yeah, well-rested well and feeling strong. My, my goodness, you guys. So... Hurricane Elsa passes through this weekend. This is the right set, this is Friday the ninth. It's right now. <laughs> okay. Sweet. And then you guys set off tomorrow. And then hopefully you dodge all the shipping lanes. Fog stays away from you guys. You guys get out there with your new well, your new electrical, the repaired electrical, the electrical that'll get you through, right? Yeah. Yep. Sweet. Um Brian, what do you think? Any is there anything else that we're missing, you guys? That was I'm riveted. I'm absolutely yeah. riveted. Yeah, I've I've just kind of been along for the ride on this one, and and it's been it's been amazing to hear to hear your guys' story. Um, we can we can wrap up there. Maybe maybe each of you go around and and what's uh what's your your favorite kind of personal piece of equipment that you're that you're bringing with you on this trip. Mm. My, I would say my favorite piece of kit that I'm bringing uh, is my Thermarest, like the inflatable. It's the four season pad. And even though we have dog beds as our primary bed, but that Thermarest has kept me warm in so many situations where I was like borderline hypothermic, not great. And so I can kind of in my head, I know that's like a backup. If somebody gets really cold, you stick them on there, they're going to be just fine. Wait, wait, what? I'm, I'm sorry. Hold on. You said your primary beds on the boat are dog beds. 
Yeah, they're dog beds. That's awesome. Dog beds. <laughs> like, like, like dog beds that I get for my my dogs, my animals here in this house. Yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> um, that's so fantastic, and I'm so glad that you said that because that's I also amazing. love how he just tossed it in. Like there wasn't going to be a follow up question about the dog <laughs> beds. That's amazing. Um, wait. So okay, I know I we had a great story. Somebody, one of you three needs to give me a description of the boat. Talk to me about the boat. For anybody that's listening audio-wise, get, tell me about the boat. Tell me about how you sleep. How do you cook? Just try, try. Yeah, yeah, hard question. So, boat is 25 feet long, 8 foot wide beam. And the main component of the boat is the back cabin. It's eight feet long by six feet wide, which is about the size, a little smaller than a king bed. And it's small. not a full size bed. Full Let's size be bed. honest, king bed is that. <laughs> it feels bigger when you're in there. Yeah. So we're pretending. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's where the three of us live on this expedition. Yeah. Um, hopefully we don't all three have to be in there more than we need to, but it has happened so far. And it's fine, according to these guys, as long as they go to sleep before me. <laughs> Here's the issue. Chris thinks it's a king-size bed, and it's the size of a full-size bed. So this is how Chris sleeps. <laughs> and now, I don't know if you've seen, Chris is a unit. <laughs> Us two little fellas have to sneak into the corner like two little mice to try and get a bit of sleep in this corner. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay, so that was perfect. And then you guys cook in there or you guys cook out on the deck? Right. We cook outside, so we just have a little jet boil and, and we have the hang kit that you would use for a uh, portal edge. So we kind of try to use that. Half the time we're just kind of like holding it as a handheld gimbal, uh, which seems to work pretty well. So boil water, all the hydrated foods, you know, like expedition meals, yeah, Snickers bars. Nice. Got to have the Snickers bars. That's all. I've always said that Snickers are better than Cliff bars. More calories, better taste. Uh, they're all around better than Cliff. Sorry, Cliff. I, I do like a good Cliff <laughs> now and then, but I got to throw some shade for the Snicker bars. Um, okay. Any, Brian, any other living questions? Because I was curious about that. And I wanted to make sure the listeners got that. Cooking, sleeping, eating. You guys play games? You guys got cards or something? <laughs> yeah. Yes. No games. You guys just got a fucking row. So when we were we were sitting on anchor for nearly forty eight hours, letting tropical storm Claudette pass. First day, kind of fine, like shooting the shit for a while, talking. And second day, we're getting pretty bored. Like, so who packed the cards? We get the cards out. We're kind of tired. Like, okay, what card games do we know? And we're all looking at each other. Do we all not? know any card games no it's that we half knew a bunch of them yeah we, you know? we couldn't remember enough to like get through a game and have it be remotely enjoyable like we would just get confused about the game after like a few minutes and be like that doesn't make any sense <laughs> that's so absurd that's, uh, that's amazing well uh, remind me uh, i'll i'll uh, i'll send you guys some instructions for Thank you guys as now you got some. You guys bring in some instructions. Um, that's amazing. Uh, I was going to say, though, how much time do you guys really have for games? Because you guys are going to be rowing, mostly. Um, Two-person card games, right? Because only one, one or two people row at the same time? I think it's mostly if we're at anchor. Like, we're definitely – if the wind is, is – like, let's say we have 30 miles, 30 knots of wind going uh, as a headwind, we're not rowing. Like, you actually right. just move back anyway. So there definitely will be times, if not for whole days, even for like 12 hours at a time, where we'll put out that power anchor that we talked about and essentially yeah. try to get some rest and not drift too far. So yeah. like there's a bunch of things like the cards and like after the first four days, you're like, we're never going to use any of this stuff. And then you hit power anchor and you're like, where's the cards? Do you know, like you're just sitting there for 24 hours. Um, so I think we'll definitely get a shot at uh, Cards, fishing, all those nice. kinds of fire anchor activities. Yeah. Um, so Chris, what's your what's your favorite piece of gear? 
This is a tricky one because I've definitely got a few on this. But <laughs> however, I have to go with a bright safety yellow Brundon's <laughs> jacket, which has been my savior. I have yet to wear it as a jacket, but I wear it as a skirt a lot. And at first, we were all getting sunburned. The sun was just brutal the first few days. So I clipped it to my life jacket and would hang it down over my legs like a skirt. And it uh, helped uh, keep the sun off my legs, which was a savior. And then during the storm, actually, I had, I like to rock like some really short shorts with like pink flamingos on them just to keep the vibes light, you know? And so I was wearing that when the storm hit, not realizing like how cold and wet things were going to (laughs) get. And so I took the Grundens jacket and I put it in my lap and I'm taking waves, like breaking waves into my lap, but I've got this bright yellow safety jacket on my legs, keeping me warm. And we got through it with a smile because of how ridiculous I looked. And that's so, amazing. That's definitely a top piece of kit for sure. That's, right, that's right. amazing. What's, what's, your, what's your top piece of kit that you have? Um, I think mine is, is probably a compass. Uh, and I, I have one that's a that good I, call. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it, and then I have one that uh, on a chain that my uh, mother gave me that's engraved with like Slona Walia, which in like Irish and Gaelic is like safe journey. So I've become a very superstitious man in a very short period of time. Like, I totally get this whole like uh, old seafarers being the most superstitious people. Like, we're all in on this now. We're like we need chains for this. We have lucky charms. We have, uh, so yeah, that compass means a lot to me. And That's uh, great. It, it's definitely the, like, it's one of the things I'd like to arrive on the shores of Ireland with. That, that's incredible. You guys were talking about being stuck in the in the fog, kind of in the shipping lane. Um, my dad and I were out in the Puget Sound a couple of years ago in our in our little eighteen foot boat, and we got caught in the fog in the middle of a ferry shipping lane, and we had to navigate with a Boy Scout compass and like a thirty year old map, and yeah. we. We got out. We got out of it. It was. It was honestly. It was, it was honestly like one of the most impressive outdoorsy things that either of us have ever done. And we were just telling this, this story a couple of a couple of days ago. But um, don't find yourself in the middle of a shipping lane in the fog. Um, no, that's sounds bad. Chris, you're a man after my own heart. These are my climbing pants. Yeah. I, 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 I heard you. I heard you say that, and I was like, oh yeah, Chris. Chris and I, Chris and I, I think have a similar style when we go out. I'm wearing some, I've got a nice shirt on, but I got some crazy purple, purple shorts on right now. So I'm all, all in on the fun colors. Gentlemen, this has been an absolute pleasure. This has been amazing. Where can everybody everybody follow along on your journey? Yeah. Uh, So first of all, I want to say thank you from myself and all of us to Rerouted for their support. Uh, Rerouted was a first big sponsor to come on board, really believe in us. You guys are incredibly positive. You're doing an amazing thing for the outdoor community. And uh, we, we just want to say thank you for that first. And then if you want to follow along, we're at the hard way home at Instagram, uh, on Instagram, and we'll be updating every day or a couple of days on that. So, and we are undoubtedly the entertainment kings of ocean rowing. You know, if nothing else, we haven't gone very far so far, but we are putting out some stellar content. And like, I, I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna bill you guys as that entertainment kings of the ocean. That's gonna be that's gonna be the name of the episode. Entertainment yeah. kings of the ocean. So, so don't don't you guys worry. Um, you guys are the best. Seriously, yeah. this was. Amazing. You guys are awesome. You you talked about how when you got back to when you got back to Falmouth, everyone was kind of jumping in to just kind of be involved in some way. And I can I can kind of peel peel behind the curtain. That was Chap and I's conversation. As soon as we as soon as we talked to you guys and and Ray, as soon as we talked to you for the first time, we got off that call and we were like, we need to be involved in this somehow. Like we yeah. need to we need to figure out a way to to help these guys accomplish this goal. And and we're glad that um. We're glad to glad to be a part of it and glad to have you guys on here. Well, we've we've kept you for far too long. 
Last uh, note, last note, follow us on Twitter at Get Rerouted. Follow me on Twitter at Get Rerouted. Follow Instagram on Instagram at rerouted.co. And Facebook is at rerouted.co as well. Sorry, that was it. Brian, wrap it up. That was my Awesome. Time. That's been Repotted. Thanks to the uh, the Hard Way Home guys, Chris, Ray, and Ryan. On, uh, on behalf of myself, Brian, and Chap, uh, that has been the Rerouted Podcast.